0: Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. You got your microphone up next to your face now, so it's a good step forward this morning. <laughs> yeah. We don't need any back problems. Oh, so, uh, anything fun in the last week?
1: Uh, well, you know, I just had a couple weeks of PTO uh, a little while ago, and that was nice. Yeah.
0: do you have a staycation?
1: Yeah, I had a very staycation. I I uh you know, saw friends and uh relaxed and uh did a couple things with my folks. That so that was good. There was a nice uh I'm not going to go into too much detail cuz it's boring for the tech people, but <laughs> there was a nice little documentary uh locally produced made and produced about um about uh, high school basketball in Kansas City. Cool. Um and uh that was showing at this Greenland Armor
0: that oh was, yeah, right, fun. right down by your place. I've never been there. I, it, yeah, it took took my dad to it. It looks awesome outside, but I've never been in. Yeah, I mean it's it's very much
1: an old school theater. So you are um you you're not going in there getting the highest tech, best sound sort of situation. You're you're going in there for the yeah, this is a cute little theater, and they show things that other theaters don't.
0: <laughs> it's all right. I like vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. So, uh, I will say that I ran into some people recently, um, who, uh, have expressed that they have really important needs whenever they listen to our podcast. So I have to ask you, what did you eat for breakfast this morning? Well, um, you
1: know, that's easy to answer because I had the same thing I have every morning, pinky. Um, (laughs) I have a bowl of oatmeal, uh, and uh, and it was, you know, it's it's very filling. I add a bunch of stuff to it. It's very tasty.
0: Are these like steel cut oatmeal or rolled or or like out of a instant package that you microwave? How's this How's this working out? Uh, no, I'm
1: I, I'm not like full on to the the steel cut oats. Uh, these are the minute quick minute oats, uh, mostly because I don't have time to you know wait. 15
0: minutes to make my oatmeal. Oh no, you got to crock pot that overnight. There's no other way to do stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't wait either. I got to go. I had a, um, I guess a keto friendly, uh, kind of like a hot pocket from a local bakery here, uh, called three bears. They provide a lot of stuff to restaurants and things too. Um, it's weird when you go down to their bakery because it's like in an industrial court because they mainly ship stuff. It's just nice that you can go there and pick up some small things. Um, yeah, it had like eggs and bacon in it. And it had an almond flour crust around it. It's pretty good. That sounds really good. And then a giant coffee. So now that we got that out of the way, there you go. Everybody who who asked me like what was going on with breakfast, there you go. Uh, so... Yeah, you, what did you, oh, I know what you said we were going to talk about today is uh, the Elixir Conference.
1: Yeah, you, you went, uh, that was last week, right? And, and, yeah,
0: yeah, it was quite the adventure getting there, but, you know, I went.
1: <laughs> you know, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but you, you know, your experience with travel, you know, ever since the pandemic started, it's been kind of dicey for a lot of people. Like, and you, you got especially unlucky.
0: I, yeah, it took me. Uh well from the time I woke up not not till I went to the airport um because my flight schedule got hugely changed before I even went to the airport uh I woke up to my flight was canceled and went to rebook and there were no flights from Southwest uh at all that day or the next day or the next day and I I kinda of freaked out uh ended up getting a new ticket with United um so I thought about driving when I woke up in the morning and if I had driven, I would have beat myself to Austin by, uh, I would have been there at 8 PM instead of 1 PM the next day. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I I got United. We went to, I, I ended up instead of a direct flight, I had to go to Atlanta. My flight leaving Atlanta was like an hour late. Then, when we got to Austin, we tried to land i think four times uh and it was the scariest landing. I saw lots of people that i'm I'm pretty sure aren't even Catholic doing the sign of the cross. <laughs> 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 people were praying out loud it it was it was a little much uh and we ended up getting rerouted to Houston uh and spending most of the night with the airline trying to get us hotels and shuttles. Got about forty five minutes of um, barely any rest in a hotel, but I was happy to go to the hotel so I could take a shower because that much time in airplanes and airports, I was pretty, I was feeling gross. Uh, And then uh, the next day, my flight kept continuing to get delayed all all day, so I was like, "Wow, I could have stayed in the hotel and actually slept." Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh but they I mean they the airline was cool. They gave me vouchers for three meals, and you didn't even have to use it at individual meals, and I could use it anywhere in the airport. So I had one heck of a breakfast. There you go. Uh and even, even bought another person in the airport breakfast. Um because they were gonna eat like next to nothing. And I was like, that's not that's not good. Here we'll we'll use these so Breakfast for me and somebody else at an airport and ended up costing me $3. <laughs> so that was good. Um, and we both left food on our plates because I hadn't also eaten in nearly that 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And so I, of course, ordered everything on the menu. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> I, I just hope you
1: didn't regret it later. <laughs>
0: No, no, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I actually stopped myself at one point. I was like, I could eat that whole plate of potatoes, but I'm not going to (laughs) because I knew that I would just be in pain. That's that's something I've learned in the last year is you should not take more food than you can eat, but you also don't have to eat everything like don't make yourself miserable. It's not good for your health. And yes, it might be sad to throw food away, but it, it's probably better long term if you take a step back and learn your limits with food. So that was that was my learning moment last year. I hope we can end the podcast now. Everybody learned something. Welcome to, to the grow. old people's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my back, my knees. Yep. my knees hurt. <laughs> uh,
1: so you were, I think. um Last time we talked, it was before your ElixirConf uh, tri- trip, and I think we talked a little bit about testing um, and and you know the the topic you were you were going to cover in your talk. Uh, I'm curious to hear how your talk went, what your what your uh, reactions were like if, from from the audience. And
0: yeah, well, when you spend a lot of time in the airport, and then when you get to the to the conference, you. I don't know if you're like me, but if I have to talk, I pretty much can't see a talk until after my talk's over because I keep wanting to make things better or tweak it. And if I even try to go to a talk, I'm five minutes in and I'm thinking about my talk instead of about listening to what they're doing. So uh, I completely rewrote all of my slides that I had practiced with. And so that was that was fun. They. That was, I, I shouldn't say I completely rewrote some of them ended up staying the same but I rearranged the heck out of the talk and kind of changed the focus a little bit mm-hmm. but it went really well um, I got a lot of good feedback people coming up and saying that was great and having comments asking questions um, Jeff, I, Jeff I don't remember your last name I'm sorry Jeff works at community uh, really awesome guy I hung out with him a lot he uh I had said at the beginning of the talk, like, "Hey, I wrote the code for these slides on the slides themselves, <laughs> um, so there could be errors in there." <laughs> could you? Could you? Uh, could anybody take notes and and just let me know? Uh, I said, "Don't shout it out during the talk, please." <laughs> and he took he took pictures of them, and and also also I think Jeffrey Matthias might have sent me some some stuff, and some other people gave me some feedback on. Uh, most of the feedback was actually about my typos and, and not, not my talk, like all of the negative feedback. So that was good. Um, I don't know. It went really well. I felt comfortable up there. Um, I, you know, it was nice to be around people again mm-hmm. and, and I kind of thrive on being in front. Like I get this big adrenaline rush that takes hours to come down after yeah. giving a talk and, and it's addictive. Um, I never knew that I would have that till I got up there and did it once. So I, I felt that again. It was wonderful. Um, yeah, we mainly talked about whenever you are doing acceptance tests that drive a browser or really any, any system that you have to wait for things. I call them transitions so that as a user, you might not think about. Um, one of the big big things is like if you have a drop down menu you click to open that drop down menu we think I click this and then I click this well actually you click this you wait for it to open and then you click and the computer is so much faster than you if you say click this and then this it's like oh, I can't find that second thing because yeah. it's often faster than what the drop down will actually open in the browser so um, that's just like one little tiny piece Hopefully it's out uh, on video sometime soon because I would like to see it, my own talk, uh, so I can beat myself up <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> it's a time-honored <laughs> tradition. <laughs> I I aspire to be a, a a good public speaker, and it actually I I have avoided for like a year. I won't watch the talk that I gave, mm-hmm. um, and. So but this time I was like, I'm I'm gonna go watch it. I'm gonna watch it right away and while it's still fresh in my mind, because I think it'll it'll have a bigger impact. And hopefully hopefully if anybody ever sees me speak again or anybody ever allows me to speak again, I'll I'll do a better job.
1: Yeah, I think uh it's it's good to go look at what um what you did previously, see how you can improve. But uh also gonna be a source of of uh long running jokes. Uh, I gave a couple talks in uh, 2013. I think it was maybe 2012. But it was probably 2013 um, about uh, CRDTs. It was like, so I gave the strange loop version. I, before that I'd given the same talk at Berlin buzzwords. Um, and this was, this was like the big, I think it was at around that time, you know, people outside of who were not in the NoSQL SQL, you know, database, distributed systems space we're like oh hey CRDTs are cool um so at least i can i can like put that feather in my cap but um hi i digested some research papers for you you're welcome uh, but the <laughs> 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 um but the 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 biggest thing that came out of that was uh in one of them i don't remember if it was berlin uh, or if it was strange loop but i think it was berlin uh cuz it's my my friend and coworker tom who always gives me a hard time about it i i kept saying uh you know cuz i was trying to make it make the the audience feel like okay this might be kind of deeply technical and unfamiliarly technical um so i kept saying it's a lot of math um <laughs> and this this became a joke uh uh so so uh you're it, not wrong though it is a lot you're of math <laughs> <laughs> um which is, you know, sort of a nonsense thing to say, but like if you if you don't, you know, if you don't write out the entire talk, which I usually don't, I'll usually write notes for things that I need to say in a specific way, but the rest of it I'll kind of mm-hmm. ad lib. Um, but then things like that sneak in, um, and you'll never be able to forget them because your friends will always remind you. That's right.
0: <laughs> I thought maybe you were going to talk about the meme that you're a part of because. Oh yeah, you're the holding the things. Only yeah, person I've yeah, you're the only person I've ever met in real life who has a meme, and I found a Russian Twitter account that puts up pictures of Sean Cribbs holding things. Really, <laughs> Russian account, huh? Yeah. At one point, I tried to show somebody, and I found some account. It was all in Russian, and it was just pictures of you. And I was like, "This is creepy." <laughs> uh,
1: it was. It might have been one of my former coworkers at Basho.
0: Was it uh, Andre Zavada? No? I have Alrighty. no idea. Okay. I don't remember the account. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the whole account was in Russian and had many, many pictures of you holding different <laughs> things. Yeah. So um,
1: the the story behind that is uh, it was QCon 2014. Um, I was giving a talk in the vendor track um, at QCon. And uh, this is New York? New York or San Francisco? I can't remember which. No, it was San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and I, you know, the, it, it's almost like a thing at QCon, uh, which is a big, you know, industry, very expensive enterprise technology conference type, type thing. Um, but it it's, it's a thing where the photographers have a talent of catching speakers with their hands in really interesting and kind of disturbing positions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, I tried really hard cause I knew about this. I tried really hard, but it, it was, it was inevitable for me to have my hand just holding out, you know, to the side as if something were in it. And I was probably just gesturing, you know, like this and, you know, kind of with the, with my hand going from, from my, you know, midline out, out to the side to make some point. I don't know. um, But they caught me and I was just like this. And and that picture got around to all of my you know friends and colleagues at the conference and they're like, hey, that looks like Sean is like ripe for for making a meme. So let's put things in his hand. What is Sean holding? <laughs> um, the funny thing is that the very next day, my friend Inez had that had one of the memes in her talk. She worked it into her talk
0: uh, <laughs> for the nice. very next day. I think I think one of my favorites is Sean holding Sean, holding Sean, yeah. holding Sean. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of those recursion <laughs> jokes.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 A a lot of them don't seem to fit back into the tech world, but that one did. Yeah. So, so <laughs> now that we know you're a living meme. Uh, <laughs> my fifteen minutes right there. <laughs> yeah, so uh I, I feel like I went to three conferences when i was gone because you know i did go to nerves comp mm-hmm. and then there was elixir comp the next day and then there was elixir comp virtual um nerves comp was really awesome there were some great talks there we got some fun hardware to play with uh and john carson's uh i think he's john john on twitter had did some training um like Nerves training mm-hmm. and using Livebook. And it was pretty cool that like you had this hardware device and you're running Livebook on it and you jump into it and you can write code in there and, and just hit run and see what happens. It's really fantastic for exploring exploring APIs. And, and so I'm really excited about the new stuff coming out. Like it's weird that that was from NervesConf, but now I'm like, oh, this, like the new xDoc has... It's going to automatically have a like try this in live book, which is that's amazing. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm all in. Uh, I think that other languages are probably going to start pushing for things like this. Um, kind of like I saw with live view. Uh, I mean, other places had things a little similar to live view, but they started pulling a lot of the ideas from live view, uh, almost directly. And I think that we're going to see the same thing with. With live book and documentation, because like that's the most powerful documentation. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't imagine learning to program today and having those kind of tools to learn. Because like I had, you know, I had a I had a book, and for a long time, I didn't even have a compiler. I just wrote a bunch of code and waited for my Borland C plus plus CD to show up at my nope. house and. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You didn't you didn't get in see in, if I could actually run it. You didn't get into the uh into the DOS shell on like fire up Q Basic.
0: Oh no, Q Basic Q Basic and TI Basic are how I started. Uh and then, you know, of course I was like, oh, I want to make video games. Well, i are going to have to do C++ is what everybody was telling me." So I got a book which came with a CD that had a compiler on it, but um it wouldn't load. Ah. <laughs> like it wouldn't it wouldn't Classic. even install like the install was corrupted uh so i had this giant book of borland c++ that came with a cd with the borland c++ compiler that didn't work i got a hold of them and they're like we'll send you another one of course it took them like a month and a half before it ever showed up uh and so i was going through this book and like typing out these little programs in in uh whatever the notepad hmm. it's like whatever the built-in windows thing was Uh, and I don't know that I ever tried to run all of them. I know that the very first one I tried to run was also the most complicated. I should have started the other way. And I spent like three days trying to debug it and add semicolons and, and, and all kinds of things. So, uh, yeah, uh, I learned, um, OO at a pretty young age, I guess. I didn't know I was doing OO uh, using C++, same. which basically means that I don't know OO. Yep. <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> I feel the same way if you learned OO through Java. I'm sorry uh, if I offend anybody there, but that's, that's how I feel about it. If you learned with small talk, you're probably in, in the right place. But yeah, I didn't know we were going to get into. That was an interesting tangent yeah <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah like so live book and and run on live book links and stuff seems like that just blows my mind,
1: yeah I think that's really great for for nerves too, because um you know uh last time I looked at nerves trying to do something um there's a lot of there's a lot of setup you know um and mm-hmm. and uh there's a lot of well, are you running? Like this is designed to be on a smaller device. I won't say embedded because it's not necessarily embedded, but you know you can run it on a Raspberry Pi or whatever. But you're you're spending you, you got to spend a bunch of upfront time deciding what what architecture I'm going to run this on and setting up the project to be able to run on that. And gosh, it'd be just nice to fire up a live book and go, okay, I can play with these APIs and figure things out. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, what can I do with this? Right, without especially having to, to write the whole the project
1: first and, like, flash the firmware all the time.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, that's um, that's the fun thing, is waiting on that firmware. <laughs> what do you mean? You don't like that part? Uh, especially when you're just trying to explore, like, mm-hmm. a new piece of hardware, that stuff. Um, interesting fact, though, because of how Nerves is set up, if you wanted to, you can use nerves to deploy to your servers because you just have to have something that can run linux so now you have ab partitions that automatically swap over if one fails so you can you could use nerves hub to deploy to your servers you just have to build build a nerves image for whatever server you have
1: so you're saying nerves made elixir deployable
0: <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs>
1: correct you could congratulations everybody thanks to nerves you can deploy elixir now
0: you can now deploy ah (laughs) categorically um deploying elixir does not exist uh there you go that's my key my Keithly for the day (laughs) absolutely never deployed elixir ever never not without nerves anyway (laughs) <laughs> but the AB partition, like fallback stuff, all being built in and the tool chain that Nerves uses, it, I mean, I think that it's really a viable way for a team to do deployments if they wanted to. Uh, and you get all the power that Nerves has put into making building systems simple. And now you also, because you've controlled and built the system. You know that whatever you're deploying exactly what's on it, you don't have to worry about if you upgrade it's it's upgraded within that system, so if you upgrade, you don't have to worry about oh did i did I change my build pack did I upgrade this on the server and then you know sometimes i I have my a s d f tools right mm-hmm. that I have to update then i if I'm deploying to Gigalexer, then I have like some Elixir bundle configuration. i have to go update the Elixir version and version in there. Otherwise when I get to the my deployment, suddenly my deployment fails. There's all these little things. And if you can do it in Nerve, you're done. Move on. Just push the whole system. Yeah. Get a get a digital ocean box for five bucks, ship it.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I, I think it goes to show that um, you know, you can accomplish really great things when when your tools are well built and and uh like it would be nice to see that sort of level of attention go to the rest of the ecosystem too. Um, but it also like, there's a lot of unfun, like nitty gritty things to do in that space. Now, uh, you know, sometimes it's gnarly fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but a lot of times it's just not fun. It's like, ah, I have to write this glue code that's never going to be clean and have a nice abstraction. And But I have to do it so that we can accomplish this task that everybody needs done
0: you know, you, you talked about getting those tools back and you wish that those tools had gotten into the rest of the ecosystem is that there have been a lot of things that the Nerves team and working on Nerves has brought back to the ecosystem as a whole just because, you know, we're working on little tiny devices. I remember one time I was trying to get some help. Um, I, we were working on a NERVS device at Schneider Electric, uh, a big uninterrupted power supply for running data centers and things. and um, I there was something weird that I ran into. I don't remember what it was, and I just asked, and people were like, "Get more RAM." I was like, "Oh, you do server (laughs) work? I see. (laughs) Yeah, just upgrade your instance on your cloud provider, right?" (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I also thought you were also the person not writing checks for this cloud (laughs) (laughs) provider. I I've seen a a company um, spin up like 96 I think it was of the largest AWS servers and the developers be like that's just how it works and I thought oh everybody should do some embedded systems work for a little bit
1: <laughs> yeah and I, I think there's um it's it's been good over the last few years to see uh, for instance uh, things like telemetry uh, become more popular uh, because I think the there might be a perception uh, it could be the sort of well, I'll ship the MVP type of attitude, um, and and not concerned with like longer term maintenance. Um, but uh, there's been kind of a dearth of uh, observability as a like as a practice um, in in Elixir. It's been kind of mixed in Erlang. I would say there's there are folks who cared about it and folks who didn't. Uh, and so you know what you find is little in the Erlang side of of the ecosystem. You'll find um, certain patterns that are not. Uh, uniform like you'll have you have two or three different libraries that that all kind of accomplish the same thing but they do it in very different ways and you can't use them together and that sort of thing um so it was good to see telemetry kind of unify that idea and actually it's more like well they ripped you know they actually the, the, the new logger uh what was that otp 22 i forget 21 they brought in the the new logger yeah, somewhere there. It's the same kind of pattern. It's an event dispatcher um, rather than a whole set of processes necessarily. But okay, so where was I going with that? I think if people know like how to measure their systems, they won't get in that situation where they fire up 96 of the largest instances on their cloud provider and don't care about the cost. Because like you can, you know, this is exactly what OTP is for. You can use all the cores if you know what you're doing, but you also like have to pay attention to the other the other aspects of the system like you know how much ram am i using is you know are these individual operations uh performing consistently or are they wildly inconsistent or um are they slower than we would like or are they super fast and i don't need to touch them like the these sorts of questions are um need to be answered uh whenever you're you're deploying elixir which we all know is impossible but the i you know i i think um there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff going right now but there's also a long way to go before you can really feel like hey this you know out of the box or very close to out of the box new elixir project it's gonna have you know metrics tracing logging built in and uh i just have to add to it i have to add my own flavor for this particular project and make that part of my engineering process
0: i've 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 had a hard sell sell with that um, especially startups and minimum viable product because it takes longer to think about, and then the cost a lot of times of you know something like datadog datadog's not cheap uh, and and the amount of thought that you have to put into, especially if you have multiple services, so making sure that you're passing across a token so that you can trace through different services and making sure that you get that into your metrics is not not a simple task and takes extra time. So I, I, how do you, how do you, I mean, what are the points that you bring up to say, this is, we need this, not, this is nice to have, but we actually need it.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, the main thing i try to go for, especially if it's a, you know, a uh, product owner, uh, product manager, you know, business person, of uh, why we need to spend the extra time doing that is, you know, how do you know whether your thing is successful? Um, you know, you, like i think it's it's a pretty easy sell to say oh well we have like google analytics or some other you know front end apm type thing where we're tracking what people are doing um but you can say well you can do the same on the back end and you can go i know exactly where these business processes are handled inside your application and i can measure those and then you can have you know direct from the horse's mouth so to speak metrics about how something is doing. Um, But a lot of engineers aren't experienced doing the performance or the health side of things anyway. Um, And, and so like, if you want to extract from that kind of information, a business level metric, that's a whole bigger leap than, than
0: they're used to. How do you like, what, what do you look to measure whenever you're looking? And I, I I have my own ideas (laughs) when I'm looking at stuff.
1: Yeah, so so I I might say um well, you know, I'm working at at BlockFi right now. we a crypto finance company. Um and let's you know, one of our major functions is let's say trading. Like you want to trade one cryptocurrency into another. Um and uh this we want to know what the success of that product is. So, um you know, there's simple things you can do there like how many trades do people make. Um that's something really straightforward and direct that you can measure um you could measure how often are those trades successful um how many times do they fail uh for whatever reason? Can you classify those reasons and then you're starting to get down into like how can we fine tune the business and and you know align the the software to the business too um you You might even be able to do something like how how much margin are we making on those trades um as as part of the process if that's something that's variable and not fixed right mm-hmm. so um uh, that that's a sort of like business orientation to those metrics but you could also go go deeper and say um you know this is within that feature not a like single shot process there's multiple parties involved um there are uh maybe multiple systems within the infrastructure that interact as part of this process uh, well, why don't I start measuring the interactions of those, and uh, you know, see if you can correlate. Is is one of those things causing my, you know, my business objective to the the like people trade things, people trade currency. Um, is is are those affecting my business objectives' ability to succeed from a lower level, or are they they correlated? Like, let's say, well, that service over there that I need to talk to, or that third party software as a service that I need to talk to, to execute a trade, they are, uh, when they're slower, my trades fail more often. Um, and, and those are, those are the sorts of like virtuous feedback cycles that make your, your business successful in addition to your, your technical side. Uh, so that's, that's the sort of way I would sell it to, to someone who, you know, you know, maybe in an early stage startup, it's, it's less important, but very, I think, you know part of it too is that the initial setup of those things can be expensive Um, they're like there's upfront cost to pay but once you're doing them it's very incremental uh or or it just
0: becomes part of your engineering process so that's where i tried to sell is like you're gonna want this you're gonna need it and the cost up front is cheaper the smaller your system is so if we can start you know Three or four days in, I understand. Like, maybe you don't want to put it in unless you know that your product is viable. But as soon as you know your product is viable, you, you can get feedback to give users better experiences. And actually, in this trade thing that you were just talking about, like, and the margins for business wise, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if your servers are priced by amount of time and CPU and by the amount of memory. And now I can say, okay, here's all of these trades. Here's how much CPU and memory they used. Here's the what what our mar- or what our we were paid for on them, like how much money we made. So now I can directly correlate to that, to the cost of the server. And I can see like, if we can, you know, save this much memory on trades, we will make, this will raise our, our margins by this much. And so you can make, a major business case out of that that where it comes down to money. Yeah.
1: Usually it usually comes down to money too. Um, and one of, one of the things that, uh, one of my side projects at, I say side projects at work, if it's successful, it become a major project. Um, but, um, is to build a capacity planner. So like if you get these, these metrics, um, and you have, you have some, some like target metric that you, you are really concerned about, say like number of people doing successful trades um and you can tie that back to some kind of like health metric um for instance uh something that measures latency or uptime or something like that um uh or utilization of some resource then you can you can correlate those things uh with really simple mathematics it's not a lot of math this time Uh, it's a little math and and then uh create projections of how much your system can handle Um, so if you say, you know, well, if my database CPU utilization hits 80%, things are going to be in a lot of pain. So, uh, you know, what, what are, what are my business trending metrics and can I correlate those to database CPU utilization and see like at what point, like if the business gets a big spike, this is especially important for startups. Like so many startups, they'll build something that just works and then they'll like, They'll get something that makes it really popular and they'll hit the edge of that uh but but if you can uh you can project out um you know it's still a guess, of course, but you can get an idea of where am I going to hit those those limits that that are mean the system is unhealthy and the business is unable to continue, and you can kind of optimize toward improving those those correlations, like
0: lowering the slope of that line yeah, I just blanked out I had a question. And it had to do with projecting out and now it's gone. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I guess we're moving on. Uh, all right. So small uh, intermission there for us um, while some phone calls had to be made. Um, and now we're back to it. I had to say that because I don't know exactly where we were. And I know that it's. Probably yeah, we were talking contiguous. about talking about <laughs>
1: metrics and 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 like selling that to to the business side. Um so that you know people can understand like
0: you know what's an appropriate amount of resources to use for for something, okay, so this might be sidetracked a little bit. It has to do with utilizing the metrics, yes, so uh one way that I have utilized metrics it took like six months to get metrics sold um, actually, I think I sold it like three months in, and then it took three months before somebody actually signed up for an. Count on Datadog. Um, <laughs> F. Like I was like, hey, when are we going to do this? And they were like, oh, oh yeah, we need to do that. So uh, I wish I had pushed a little harder. But mm-hmm. I pr- pr- probably a three month sell and then a three month lead time before we were actually able to get <laughs> some. But it turned into proving the point and helping us load shed. Mm-hmm. And. And it allowed that company to survive a major amount of traffic coming in. They knew it was coming months ahead of time. And so they knew this was going to happen, but they were scared of load shedding. And I understand that. Like, you're like, well, you're just going to throw stuff in the, it's like tossing stuff on the floor, right? Like it'll never get done. Okay. (laughs) It's not that bad, but it feels that way. I, I get that. But it allowed us in to put it up, in some testing and show load shedding actually keeping servers alive and making it so that we could actually serve everybody. Yes. Every once in a while there would be a missed request, but it was better than hitting that wall server, shutting down rebooting, hitting the wall immediately, you know, like in the long I had, but it took seeing those graphs and seeing those metrics uh, it wasn't even numbers. It really was like, show me the graph of mm-hmm. what's happening. And that was way more powerful than numbers and made load shedding okay. Yep. And I recently was talking to them the other day and they turned load shedding off afterwards. And they're coming up on another thing. And they're like, oh, maybe we should turn that back on. So they called me and we rehashed it a little bit. And uh, I'm I'm hoping that this time they'll just leave it on. Um, now, there are some things on their service that they offer that during certain times of the year when they know it's coming, they actually just need to shut off one portion of their service for like two or three. It's reporting mm-hmm. like nobody run reports during this because we're going to be pummeled with data and your reports don't matter anyway <laughs> until after that because you, then you have all your data. So. Um, they have a little bit of tweaking that they need on it during certain parts of the year, but, I yeah, I think they're going to leave load shedding on now.
1: It's funny to like, and almost unintuitive, right? That, that like, sometimes you just have to turn people away in order to service anyone. You should own a business. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cause it's so true. Yeah. Uh, and there, there's, there's actually, I was just thinking as you were talking, there's a bunch of products that without that sort of visibility, like to their customers, even, um, that product doesn't have value or not apparent value. And like the biggest one that comes to mind is CDNs, content distribution networks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of their thing is, uh, well, you know, we get the content closer to, your, to the person who wants to use your service uh, or see, you know, your product. And so the load on your servers is lower, but also, you know, most of them um, have, you know, filtering or traffic shaping functionality and like that sort of stuff you know if you need to block somebody who's hacking you or you know you've got a ton of traffic from one region because your product is really hot there right now um then you know you've got the opportunity that the content distribution network can cache that that stuff for you um and and serve it out of the place that is the hottest on in a really efficient way and then your your servers don't fall over but without those metrics you're like well what is this thing doing for me even yeah you know or or is this just something i'm throwing money at for no reason
0: and the really uh, this is in particular to to CDN but many other services have the same thing the great thing about a lot of like those services is that they are borderline set it and forget it like i i don't have to control where the CDN is deciding to put the resources they have they've kind of mastered that and so I don't have to learn that. And I, my, our team doesn't have to manage that. And that's that's extremely powerful. And and then, you know, if you're CD, I've seen CDNs now that are hosting more than static assets mm-hmm. and they're putting services out there. Um, I just want to remind people that, that, that now you're a distributed system. You already were, whether you realized it or not, but now you really are. So be prepared. Be prepared for, well, I just added something and and now it's not showing up, or or I added it and Sean, who's you know ten miles away, he might be hitting a different server and he doesn't see it yet. And you're like, okay, but Ian, you gotta you gotta set expectations, which can be hard with customers, but it's getting easier. I think more and more people un, uh, have seen enough things on the internet and seen what uh the result uh, not non-technical people have seen the results of a distributed system they may not know why but they're like oh, if i wait a minute it'll probably be okay
1: you're not gonna just hit the refresh button yeah like
0: yeah 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 <laughs> 85 times thank you grandma uh,
1: <laughs> now that's that's where that cdn really comes in handy when they hit the eight refresh is. button 85 times
0: <laughs> uh the refresh button versus like whatever action you're having them do yep uh that's that's a rough one I've I've been dealing with that lately. People hit the same button over and over. And they're not like double clicking it. They're hitting it again like eight seconds later. Um, mainly because all we gave them was a toast message as a, as a, hey, we did this. And they needed something right next to that button to say, you already did this. Because we don't want to stop them from doing it again. Because they may need to. We especially couldn't decide on an amount of time that was the right amount of time, like maybe they need to send it again in an hour, maybe because it sends an email. No. Yeah. It was like, maybe they're talking to somebody on the phone and, and that person's like, I didn't get it. Can you send it again? Or I accidentally deleted it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we didn't want to stop them and say, well, you can't do it till tomorrow or you can't do it for four hours. Cause it's not cool. Like, yeah, I, I got to give you enough to do, to run your business the way you want to run it. Mm-hmm. um, Wow, I feel like we're all over the place today because now I want to talk about like when we're writing software, you know a lot of times making your software more permissible might actually be the right way to go to serve users in the best way possible.
1: You mean permissible in that they can they can take whatever action they want or or in that it's more tolerant of of problems
0: uh, they can take whatever action they want. I think more tolerant of problems is good too, but um you know that's. Why one of the reasons I really like working in Erlang and Elixir is because I feel like it's more tolerant of problems. Like we had a bug recently, um, where I didn't even notice. I just happened to glance in some logs and see an exception once, and was like, "Huh, I'm going to go test that." And then I went and tested it, and I'm like, "Oh, you can't even tell from the front end. This is beautiful," <laughs> 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 because in well, it's using in live View and instead of it updating. The portion of the page in the nice super fast way it reloaded the whole page, but the user doesn't really like y- you couldn't even tell and I was like this is this is amazing well it didn't re- it didn't really reload the whole page it reloaded a whole section of the page that it was a list, and instead of just adding the item to the list, it reloaded the list which is fine oh so like, the, at the, least the, the state change
1: was was all you saw and not not the fact that it like crashed and restarted
0: yeah yeah so everything appeared to be looking fine even even our we had we had some uh acceptance level tests which you know i'm kind of a fan of even those acceptance level tests said it was all good because they still got the answer they expected right and they waited for a minimum a period of time for that thing to appear and then
1: it did appear because it reloaded
0: <laughs> <laughs> and there's something to be said for um I still think that there's something to be said for the acceptance test in that case, because it said, even with our problems, we are meeting the expectations. Right. And that also allowed me to decide whether that problem was worth fixing right now. Like, did it need to go to the top and be a priority or could it hang around for a little bit? Mm -hmm. And then maybe if I had some metrics on it, I could have said, oh, it's not even hurting us in our memory and response times enough to worry about at this moment because we have this other thing that's far more important but it it actually I feel like the acceptance test and the way that Elixir Erlang uh, live view the way all of it works at OTP like saved me and I, I didn't even notice it's so beautiful when it saves you and you don't know
1: <laughs> well I, I think that's also a testament that you, you and your team you know built that code correctly uh, because imagine if um that state change that caused you know an exception and a reload actually made the the application slower or um or not come back into the same state i i think there's there's so much excitement about live view because oh hey you know you can build these kind of things that look like single page apps but they're completely server-side driven and you can manage the state in elixir and and that's great but it uh in a lot of ways, ignores the fact that you have to account for the fact that that WebSocket might drop and your process might crash because, because the socket's gone. Um, and then what what does the user do on the front end? Like, do they completely lose everything? And, and does it force a reload of the entire page? Uh, you know, what's the experience and the fact that you were able to do like a minimally impacting uh, failure mode for that for that user experience is
0: like hey you did the code right i would like to take all the credit <laughs> <laughs> i do i do have to say i would i would say at least 50% of that credit really does go to like the live view team and how they have set the system up i'm not going to say that everything about live view is my favorite thing in the world sometimes I'm, i get really frustrated by it uh but that like the way they have built that thing Makes it actually simpler for me to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. It puts me in a mode to be able to do the right thing. Sometimes I have to, I have to do a little like more and make sure that I'm doing it to not actually cause a problem. But they have done so much of the work on on setting up the processes correctly and the supervisors correctly that like really fifty to eighty percent of it is is done for. Um, I'm going to say high availability. Yeah, good job, Live View.
1: Yeah, <laughs> everybody have fun with that next version coming out real soon. Yeah, right? Or is it already
0: out? It's out. It's out. We're we moved uh, um, one of the applications over to it. Mostly, we didn't move the JavaScript stuff yet because that's a lot more work. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I look forward to getting away from Webpack. Um, let's, let's see. I'm I'm limited on time left, but wanted to say like there were some really good talks at ElixirConf. when they start coming out get on there and watch them um the ones that I saw because <laughs> I missed almost an entire day uh um Brooklyn's keynote on the final in person day uh I I got back into the room she's about halfway through it but it was amazing uh I I'm planning on going and watching the rest of it later today if I if I can squeeze in the time uh the Jeffrey Mathias has a talk on testing and Digit did a great talk on, he wrote an RPG in Elixir um, and he talks about uh, ECS in any component uh, system way that the uh, games are written, which I think is super applicable outside of games. Uh, if you, if you need to have things where you build up functionality like you have entities that are pretty much the same, but you need to add functionality to them. Maybe even at runtime, it's pretty amazing. Uh, so go watch that talk. I don't know. I don't know. There was a lot of good ones. And next year we will be back in, um, Aurora, Colorado at the big resort with the lazy river conf too. And, um, we will, we'll try to make sure that we have some more t-shirts and, and have a lazy river conf in the evening. So,
1: Make sure to bring bring your pimento cheese, people. Right? Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, I I do like pimento cheese, but uh, <laughs> I think I got a little burnt out that year. <laughs> yeah, it it uh, what started as a joke became
1: too much of a thing.
0: <laughs> well, and then people started giving it to me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so that was weird. Okay, no pimento cheese next next year. It's beer cheese.
0: Beer cheese. Ooh. Okay. Beer cheese and soft cheese. We heard it here that's first. What we're gonna... <laughs> awesome uh i don't know you have any any closing thoughts instrument your applications folks you'll thank me later perfect (laughs) perfect thank you all for going on this meandering ride with us today (laughs) we were all over the place but all good things all good things all right well i'll see you later sean yeah have a good one